Hey, thanks for tuning into our podcast today. My name is Derek Puckett. I'm the lead pastor at Renewal Church of Chicago. If you want to know more information about us, you can head to our website at RenewalChicago.com. I pray today that this message is a blessing and an encouragement to your soul. Good morning, Renewal fam. How are we doing this morning? Good to see you. My name, uh, as Mike said, is Pastor Steve, and I have the, the privilege of opening the scriptures with you this morning. We're going to be in Psalm 130 this morning, so if you have a Bible with you, go ahead and turn there. And then uh, if you don't have a physical Bible with you, go on and uh, open your Bible app or Google Psalm 130, and that's where we'll be. And as uh, you're turning there, uh, I do uh, want to acknowledge and recognize uh, that a number of us may have a number of different feelings going on in response to the Supreme Court overturning uh, Roe versus Wade. Uh, this week, and uh, I want to just say that on behalf of your church, uh, we have a perspective on that. Uh, Pastor Derek is a board member with the Ang campaign, and they have a whole life campaign, and they have a statement on that uh, online. So if you want to know where, where does renewal stand on this whole thing, uh, I would encourage you to check out the Ang campaign's website. But at the same time, just even personally as a pastor, I want to say uh, that we care about life. Uh, and one of the ironic things I feel like that, that we've seen over the course of history is that sometimes we care about life in the womb more than we care about life out of the womb. And sometimes, sometimes we relegate what, what lives we care about. Um, and so what, what I want to say holistically is that we care about people made in the image of God. We care about elderly lives. We care, uh, I, I, you know, we care about gay lives. We care, uh, we care about Asian lives and black. And sometimes we got to say black lives matter because historically they, they hadn't seemed to matter. Uh, and, and so uh, we, we care about life because human beings are made in the image of God. Now, that being said, there's a number of things in, in, in ways that uh, overturning Roe versus Wade means in turn, and in, in some of my Christian friends are celebrating and some of my Christian friends are incredibly sad, right? Um, and one of the things, if you have navigated the uh, medical uh, world at all, uh, like I have just trying to take care of my mom, you realize that it's incredibly broken. And... Uh, there are a number of women who are trying to figure out how uh, and, and even terminology that we use in, in the medical industry for different things and, and how does health insurance policies take care of uh, women's health in a number of different ways. And so I, I want to say that there's a number of things that in the coming days and, and weeks and, and years that more than celebrating what God is calling us to do is show up. Uh, it's, it, God is calling us to show up for uh, for uh, foster care children. God, uh, God is calling us to, to show up uh, for elderly people. God is calling us to show up for moms who are in poverty and don't know what to do. Uh, God is, is calling us uh, to show up for people. God is calling us uh, to help mitigate some of the costs of adoption and different things that as followers of Jesus, like we, we have to be championing. Um, and so more than anything, uh, this uh, Supreme Court uh, change is a call for you and I to show up. And so that's, that's my thoughts on that. So if you would, and you have uh, the scriptures in front of you, 
Would you rest on your feet? Psalm 130 reads this way. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. It says, Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than the watchman for the morning, more than the watchman for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption, and he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. The very words of Scripture. Amen. You may be seated. Every year around this time, there is a certain level of excitement and anticipation for the summer, right? For those of us who have been Chicagoans for any amount of time, uh, the winter can give you uh, those winter blues. Uh, And so when the sun finally shows up, and this year it showed up with vengeance, right? It showed up with force. Uh, but, but there's this sense in, in which, like, man, we've got to get up and get out. There's a sense of optimism that the sun brings with it. And, uh, and you begin to imagine uh, running to the pool on a hot day. And, uh, and, and, and kids are thinking about cannonballs and belly flops and, and all types of different things, right? Uh, there's a sense of optimism that comes, uh, comes with the pool and, and that comes with summer. Uh, but, but it... It offers actually challenges for those of us who have some challenges swimming. Uh, for those of us who, uh, who aren't the greatest swimmers in, in the world, a uh, deep amount of water can kind of spell danger for us. Uh, and, and it can put us in a situation that we might be desperate for someone to rescue. Uh, and one of the things that happens at every pool around the city is that you'll see uh, because that may be a possibility for some people, there's a lifeguard who's on duty. Uh, and that lifeguard has a life safety rat. So that in case somebody is overcome by the water and they begin to sense themselves drowning, that the lifeguard can throw in the life safety raft in order to rescue the person who is overwhelmed by the water. Now, If you would, imagine you're not just in the deep end of the swimming pool, but you're in uh, the deep end of Lake Michigan uh, without a life safety raft. And uh, and you're in the middle of of despair, and uh, and it almost seems impending without a life safety raft and without somebody throwing you something, a rope or something to get you out, that you may very well, you may very well die. That's sort of the, the, the tenor of our text this morning, that, uh, that there's this overwhelming sense of despair that the author of this psalm is in, and it's as though they are drowning. And one of the interesting things that you and I do when we are in the middle of despair is, uh, is we try to manufacture hope. Uh, we, 
uh, we try to find hope somewhere. And, 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 and so I, I've seen it over the course of time. I was having a conversation a couple of years ago uh, with a guy in a coffee shop, and we were talking about uh, hip-hop and Chance the Rapper and old Nas albums and, and stuff like that, as, as you do at coffee shops, right? <laughs> as one does. And, uh, and so there's all this positive energy around the conversation, and, uh, and then he tells us that he's getting ready to move to Los Angeles. And, uh, and then I ask the question, man, what prompted your move to Los Angeles? And all of a sudden, I, I saw the sort of shift in, uh, in his posture and in his tone. He was actually in the middle of a divorce. And, and he owned some of... The reasons why he was in the middle of that divorce was because of some things that he had done. And, uh, and yet here he was in, in the middle of this difficult situation. And his, uh, his idea was that if I move to Los Angeles, just get a fresh start, get back on the single scene, then, then in the midst of my despair, there's hope, right? We, we manufacture hope. We we find ourselves in the middle of despair and we cling to different things to try to rescue us in the middle of our despair. I remember a close friend of mine when we were in high school, his mother passed away and uh, we were just graduating uh, high school and his, his mother passed away and we were trying to support him and come around him and, and I watched as uh, week after week something new came to the house, right? New car came to the house. New rims on the car, new stereo system for the car, new motorcycle. And what I realized over the course of time is that in the middle of my friend's grief and despair, what he was doing was trying to ease his despair. You see, when you're in the middle of, of despair, you, uh, you find ways to manufacture hope. But uh, but what happens when, uh, when you're in the middle of despair and there seems to be no resolution in sight? There, there seems to be nothing uh, that's going to mitigate your situation. Doom is impending. Uh, there's no panacea for your pain. There's no medicine for your melancholy uh, despair. Uh, and, and has, has preached the funeral and hope is now existing in the cemetery. What do you do when you're overcome with despair? I, 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 want, I want to preach from that subject and attempt uh, the best way I know how to answer the question, answering despair. Answering despair. Will you bow your heads and pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace and kindness this morning. We thank you for the opportunity to gather together to sing to you, uh, we exalt Jesus, God. We are so enthralled with the person and work of Jesus. He is our grace applied to our lives. And so even as we get ready to share your word, I pray that the balm of Jesus would lift off of the pages um, and help us, God. Open our eyes to see magnificent things that are in your word. Holy Spirit, it is to that end that I am available to you. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. All right, so what seems to be the situation that the psalmist finds himself in? Look with me at verse number one. 
Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. So, as we said earlier, the psalmist is in deep desperation. That phrase, out of the depths, is really a poetic way of saying, it feels like I'm getting ready to die. It's the picture of someone drowning in the middle of the ocean, and they're yelling for some kind of life raft. With doom sort of impending, he's crying out, rescue me, rescue me. And it seems based on verse 8 of the passage that his situation has been self-imposed. He, uh, he is the arbiter of his problems. And so here he is in the middle of desperation. What does he do? cries out to God, and he appeals uh, not just to God to do something, but he appeals to the character of God. Look with me at verse number three. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? He points to the reality that if God were to keep a tally of all of the sins that we have committed, all the wrongdoing, all of our rebellion against him, all of that was to be put up on display and God performs justice in a moment. If he were to do that, nobody in this room and in this world could stand as those who are justified. He, uh, he, he points to that reality, and yet uh, on the other end of that reality, he knows that God doesn't do that because God has a propensity to forgive those who have done wrong because of who he is. 1 John 1, 9 says, if, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But it's, but it's not so that you can do whatever you want to do. It's so that you can do verse 4. But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. And, and that word fear in our modern language carries with it the idea of almost like an, an abusive person. But in biblical terms, it is the idea, not of frightful oppression, but it is the idea of, of respect, of, of reverence. It's the idea of putting God in his proper place in our lives. I didn't have a leg to stand on, and, and, and you stepped in. If you added up, the psalmist says, all of my sins, if you added up my wrongdoing, I'd be ruined. But you are a God who forgives, who pardons for those who ask. And in turn, we revere you. We exalt you. We're grateful, so we respect you. So what does the psalmist do in the middle of crisis? He doesn't manufacture hope. He doesn't say, if, if I get the bonus at the end of the year, he doesn't go on some kind of shopping spree, but he prays in desperation and he appeals to God because of his character and he reminds himself of that character. He's in a relationship with a God who forgives. Sometimes in life, when you're in the middle of despair, you need to go back to the basics. Some of us, when, when, when we have desperate situations in, in our lives and, uh, and, and things that we don't know if we can handle, we, we announce them on Facebook. We, uh, 
We, we, we rush to social media to make an announcement of all of our calamities. Or, or the, the, the moment we get the news, we, we get on our phone and, and call our girlfriend or call our mom or call our brother and, 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 and express all of the different things uh, that, that are going on in our lives. And then we consult God. And here what I, I want you to see is the psalmist is in the midst of, of despair before he does anything. He rehearses and reminds himself in prayer of the character and nature of God. And here, here's the thing, because this psalmist probably has some self-imposed stuff uh, that he's in the middle of this situation because of. He, he has created his own problems, right? And, and sometimes we can be those people who, uh, who pass the buck and say, well, if they hadn't done this, then that, that's the whole story of Adam and Eve, right? This woman that you gave me in, in the book of Genesis, that, that's the natural inclination of, of all of our hearts is to say, God, it wasn't me. It's not my fault. But there are also those of us who, when we fail, when we mess up, when we look at the brokenness of, of the world, we have trouble forgiving ourselves. You ain't got to say amen, just look amen. And we hold on to stuff, and I've said this before, we hold on to stuff that God has already moved on from. And the very fact that you can't forgive yourself or the very fact that you look back and you see, see that failure and, and some part of you says that I'm, I'm not worthy of God's forgiveness or I'm not worthy uh, of God's grace in, in this instance or, or I need to do some stuff in order, uh, in order for, for God to really be pleased to overcome the failure that I had in my life or the sin that, I, uh, that happened in my life that, that I was the one uh, who committed it in, in the downfall of, of my life is because of me and you can't move on from that means that you want to earn righteousness on your own. If you can't forgive yourself, it just means that you won't receive grace. And if you won't receive grace, you're rebelling against God. Psalmist, in the midst of his calamity, in the midst of his despair, in the midst of stuff that, that happened in his life because of stuff that he did, reminds and rehearses to himself the character of God in despair. But not only does he do that, but he goes on in verses 5 and 6 and says, uh, that, that, that after he's established uh, the reality of who he's in relationship with because of who God is, uh, he establishes his dependence, his sort of soul dependence on God to act in the midst of his situation. Look with me at verses 5 and 6. He says, I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word I hope. 
My soul waits for the Lord more than the watchman for the morning, more than the watchman for the morning. So the psalmist's posture is this kind of waiting that, that isn't simply sitting around on a chair in a waiting room, but in the original language, the word wait carries with it the connotation or can be translated as hope. But it's the idea of this kind of eager hope, this kind of eager expectation that's happening. He says, my soul waits for the Lord more than the watchman for the morning. And he's repeating, my soul waits. Verse 6, he says, the entirety of who I am is eagerly waiting and eagerly hoping in the Lord and him alone to rescue me. Nothing else is going to do. The bonus won't help this. The new job won't help this. The new neighborhood won't help this. The trip uh, to, to, uh, to, uh, to I, I'm, I'm laughing because I, I had this already in, in the manuscript, and I just talked to two people. One's going to Italy, and one's going to Portugal, and, and, and enjoy it. Enjoy it. I didn't say don't enjoy it. I'm just saying it's not going to provide the hope that God can provide. Uh, and, and so he says, I, I'm waiting on him and him alone. And he illustrates that waiting in, in, in verse 6. He says, more than the watchman for the morning, more than the watchman for the morning. So back in the day, uh, in the ancient world, many cities would be surrounded by fortified walls. And one of the ways that people strategically uh, kind of uh, 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 attack cities was in the middle of night. And so if you can imagine these fortified walls, they would put watchmen in, uh, in at the top of the walls in order to be able to announce if somebody is being attacked, uh, if the city is being attacked. And what they're waiting for is throughout the entirety of the night, they're waiting for the sun to rise. And so they're waiting and they're waiting and they're waiting as if as soon as the sun rises, I can get off my shift. I'm in that kind of anticipation. The whole, the whole part of my job is just in anticipation of God showing up. Some of y'all are like, I don't know nothing about watchmen, and I don't know nothing about fortified cities, Pastor Steve. Let me, let me see if I can illustrate it a little bit better. When I graduated high school, I worked the night shift at a company called Fastenal. And I was excited about this because, you know, early 2000s, middle of Indiana, $10 an hour, that was something. That, I, I didn't have no bills. I, went, I don't even think I was paying a cell phone bill at the time, right? And so it, it, you're just like adding up. These numbers are just, this is net. This is, it ain't, ain't nothing coming out of this, right? Ain't no bills coming out of this. And so you, you start to think about, uh, you start to think about, man, how many... I got a couple of Jordans that I got pick, picked out. And, and you know, I kind of blame Pastor Derek because he was the one that kind of encouraged us to get these jobs. But he worked second shift and I worked the night shift. And don't tell him this, but he worked night shift one day and he never came back. Because <laughs> they were paying an extra $2. Now, I was, still pay, I was still getting paid $10, but they encouraged him because they needed more people to work the night shift. They paid an extra 2 So he's making $12 and I was making $10. And all he was doing was picking, and I was stocking 70-pound boxes of bolts in a module uh, coming off of a, a conveyor belt alone. 
And I'm looking at, and, and, and in, the middle of the, in the middle of the shift, they, they'd be telling me, yeah, you're doing this too slow. And I'd look at this other dude that, that was on the, the dude who trained me, and I'm like, the reason why this dude does it so fast, one, he probably has two hernias right now, and two, I'm pretty sure he's on cocaine. That's the only way he can do this this fast. So anyways, it's, it's, it's the worst, right? And, and, you know, me and Derek, we got plans to get uh, motorcycles, and that's what we're, we're saving up for. And, and anyways, man, I was like, this just is not worth it, right? And, and so every day when, when my shift was up, it, it was just like you were just looking at the clock over and over and over and over and over again. And you're like, when is this thing over with? And, and every day when the shift finally came, that, 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 that it was done, they thought I have a, had a family emergency like every day because I was so fast out of uh, as soon as the shift got over with, right? And, and, and so essentially what, what the psalmist is saying is, is, is just this eager expectation. Like, is, is he here yet? Is the, is the sunrise coming yet? I, I, I know he's going to show up, but, 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 but I just keep looking at, at, at my clock and the time is moving really, really slowly. But, but I know that he's going to show up and, and there's this sort of eager expectation like I'm getting off of the night shift over and over and over again. That's the kind of, of waiting that the author of the psalm is doing. Uh, and then he says, not only am I just waiting, uh, like am I, am I going to get off of this shift yet? But then he says in verse 5 that I'm waiting more than the watchman for the morning, more than the watchman for the morning, and my hope is in his word. My, my, my hope is in his word. Because from Genesis to Revelation, he's promised that he's going to rescue those who he's in covenant with. He, he's going to rescue those he's in relationship with. And, and his word isn't just any kind of word. You see, God's word and God's character is immutable. And that's a $12 word that simply means that God does not change. If he says it, it is a guarantee. Uh, he, he's, not, uh, he's not some scrub that showed you up uh, on a date. If, if he said it, you can bank on it. It is an absolute guarantee. that There, there is no possibility of, of, of anything changing. And so the psalmist says, I, I'm, I'm waiting. I'm, I, I'm waiting on you. I'm eagerly hoping in you because I know I can count on you and you and you alone relieve my despair. See, the psalmist understands that hope in anything other than God is not hope at all. That there, is, there is no need to manufacture hope. There, there is one supplier and purveyor of hope. He's the only one who can provide it. New husband won't get this done. A new house won't get this done. And so he's waiting. He's waiting. He's waiting. This is what I want you to see. The psalmist never hedges his bet. There, there, is, there is no need, there is no need to get on the other side and say, 
if he doesn't do it, something else could do it. My father-in-law and even my brother-in-law, we were joking this past year and kind of subtly serious. Uh, but my father-in-law said, Steve, you, you have to understand something. The Purdue basketball team <laughs> this year, this is, this is their shot. This, if, there ever was, if there ever was an opportunity for them to win the national championship, this is, this is it. And so I started to do my, my research on, on the Purdue basketball. I said, man, they got a 6'10 and a 7'4 guy. And Jay Dimey just got drafted number five. Uh, and, and they said that he had the highest upside in, in the whole NBA draft, right? And I said, I said man, maybe Purdue is really, really going to do it this year, right? Uh, and so they get into the, they get into the tournament. Uh, and, and he tells me, Steve, I bet on Purdue to win the national championship. And if they bet, because I put the bet in so early, this is how much I'll make on the other side of this bet, right? And so they get into the, they get into the tournament. They show some ups and downs throughout the season, but, but there's some big teams that get knocked off early, and then they, they, get, uh, they get pretty far in, in the tournament, and, and they, they face this team called St. Peter's. So because there's all these teams that have been knocked out, it seems as though they may really well have a, a, a great chance to win the championship, right? And so they get ready to face St. Peter's, and my father-in-law says, Steve, I hedged my bet. He said, if they lose, I bet on St. Peter's. But if they win, I bet on Purdue. And... And he said, as long as if they lose and I don't lose my money, then at least it will give me some kind of relief for knowing that I bet on Purdue. And here's the thing with God. Here's the thing with us. I think in life, we're in the, when we're in the middle of despair... We hedge our bets. At the deep soul level of, of our hearts, this is the, this is the distinguishing factor from, from the heart of the psalmist. I'm waiting on you and you alone. I believe the, the, the great failure of the human heart is that we say, God, you can be this in my life and you can show up in my life, but just in case you don't. Wow. 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 And we go from hedged bet to hedged bet. This job, man, they, they have a great work-life balance and, and this, is, you know, this is awesome, but... Uh, but man, you know, I really wish the salary was a little bit higher and, and then we move on to the, to the next gig and, and man, they're, they're, the salary is higher, but the work-life balance is, is, is worse. And then we say, well, maybe, uh, maybe if, uh, if I just uh, change cities and, and, and I just moved to a different place where the cost of living was uh, a little bit lower and, and the property taxes were a little bit lower. And, and man, if I could, you know, 
life is hard right now, but if I could get this Joanna Gaines kitchen going on in, in my house, like, like then, like then, then I, I'll, I'll, I'll be good. And man, the square footage of what you can get o- over here is, is, is such a drastic difference. And, 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 and we fail to realize that on the other end of those things, there's something else that you lose. And we go from thing to thing, hedging our bet. And here's the thing. God isn't Purdue. I know it's a metaphor, but I I, I need you to go with me on this. God isn't Purdue. I, I I, I just have a sense that somebody, you're in this room, and you need to understand that God isn't Purdue. So there's no need to hedge your bet. It is, it is the psalmist, it, it, as the old mothers used to say, Father, I stretch my hands to thee, no other help I know. So in the middle of, in the middle of, uh, of his despair, uh, he reminds himself of, of the character uh, and, and the nature of God. But then, uh, then he goes on to, uh, to reveal his complete and utter dependence on God. But not only that. He then hopes in the future promise of God in light of what he's already done. Look with me at verse number seven. He doesn't just cry out, God, and say, God, remind me of your character. He, he, He puts all of his expectation on God to rescue him. And finally, he points forward to a future reality where God is going to rescue and restore those who he's in relationship with completely and fully from their wrongdo from their own wrongdoing and the wrongdoing and brokenness of everything that is around him. He says in verse 7, O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption, and he will redeem Israel from all his transgressions, from all his iniquity. So here the psalmist shifts from talking about himself specifically to incorporating the community around him. And that's why many who comment on this particular psalm uh, call it a penitential psalm, uh, part of seven penitential psalms in the book itself and its general nature make it something that would be timeless. It is, it is for all of the people of God who are in relationship covenant relationship with God. As, as they understood uh, the future reality of what God is going to do, there is going to be a, a greater liberation than the liberation that the people of Israel received from Egypt. There is going to be a, a, a greater liberation than what the people of Israel received from Babylonian captivity. He says, hope in the Lord. Place all your trust in the Lord. Why? For with the Lord there is steadfast love. 
the word for steadfast love is the Hebrew word. I won't pronounce it correctly. It's the Hebrew word hesed. Hesed. And it's not any kind of love. It's not the kind of love that if you do what you're supposed to do, I'll love you. It's not, it's not the kind of love that, uh, that I love you based on how I feel about you right now kind of love. It's, it's not the kind of love uh, that says, if you keep your end of the bargain, I'll keep mine. It, it, it's, not that kind, uh, it's not that kind of love. It's the kind of love that's based on the character of God that means that because of my character and my nature, if I said something, if I made a covenant and a promise to you, I will keep my end of the bargain even if you don't keep yours. That's that kind of love. With, with the Lord... There is steadfast love. There, there is steadfast love. But not only does he say there is steadfast love, but he says with him there is plentiful redemption. It, it's, it's the idea that God doesn't just redeem or rescue, but he does it in an overwhelming fashion. Uh, he, he does it until it overflows, that he, he wasted the redemption. He, uh, he does it so that there's no question of, of whether or not uh, that, that something or someone can be redeemed. He, he does it uh, in an overwhelming fashion. What else does he do? Verse 8, and he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. This verse points forward to a future where the people of Israel don't have to make continual sacrifices through this elaborate sacrificial system each year in order to be in relationship with God. Something they did throughout the years, over the course of time. But, but there was coming a time that, uh, that there would come a person who would pay all of those iniquities, all of those sins. This psalm, having been written hundreds of years before Jesus was ever born, uh, it actually points us to that day. And on this side of history, what we realize is that the fulfillment of verse 8 happened on a cross called Calvary. 2,000 years ago, Jesus stepped into humanity and kept the covenant that Israel made with God at Mount Sinai. In other words, God made a covenant, and then God kept your end of the covenant. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's grace. I know it's a scandalous thing. It's, it's a scandalous thing. And so Jesus uh, lived the perfect life that you and I couldn't live, being the perfect representative for the people of Israel in the covenant nature of the relationship between God and humanity. And, 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 and he died on a cross called Calvary, taking all of our sin debt, past, present, and future, and he rose in victory over Satan's sin and death. And so when we look back, what you and I come to find out is that if God made good on his promise with Jesus, he's going to make good on his promise to wipe away every tear from your eyes. He's going to make good on his promise to renew and restore all things. If, if he made good on his promise with Jesus, then you can rest assured he's going to make good on every other promise that he made. And some of us may be saying to ourselves in this room this morning, but Pastor Steve, I don't know if, if I, I don't know if I have the ability 
in the middle of my despair to rehearse to myself and rush to the character and nature of God. I don't know if I have the ability to forgive myself. Somebody, you, you, may, you may say to yourself, I, I, don't, I don't know if, if I, I don't know if I have the ability to put all my dependence on God, to not hedge my bet. I, I don't know if I have the ability to truly cling to God's promises as, as though I, I can bank on it, knowing what he did through Jesus, that he's going to do something else in the future to restore and renew all things. Guess what? You're right. You don't. But there's one who did. There's one who was in the middle of despair and no life raft was thrown. There's one who was in the middle of the ocean drowning, and guess what he did drown? And no life raft came, no lifeguard came, and it's because Jesus endured despair on your behalf and on my behalf that in him he empowers and enables us to endure despair for his glory and our good. And so we wait for him. More than the watchman for the morning. More than the watchman for the morning. And I'm reminded of the Apostle Paul's words in Romans chapter 8, verses 19 through 25. And the words will come up on the screen. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. So we wait for the Lord. More than the watchman for the morning. More than the watchman for the morning. In a room this size, I'm willing to bet that somebody may be in the middle of despair. And you need to hear the preacher say, a life raft has been thrown out. There is a lifeguard on duty. His name is Jesus. And so if you look at your life and you say to yourself, I brought this on myself. I've messed some things up. Some people have messed some things up around me. My life is not what I thought it would be. There's a lifeguard on duty. And he's thrown out his life raft. And here's the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
It's not for you to do. It's not for you to perform. It's for you to simply receive the life raft. It's for you in total dependence just to cling to Jesus by faith as the grace that God provided for you to be in relationship with him. Thanks again for tuning into our podcast today. I pray that it was a blessing and an encouragement to your soul. I look to see you at one of our services at 9 or 11 a.m. on Sunday morning. Take care. God bless you.